Tonight, we're going to turn our attention to the second part of our study this evening as we look at the faith of Moses. We began this last time, if you recall, by focusing upon the sacrifice that his parents made in hiding him and in seeking to preserve his life and how that when we read in Hebrews 11 verses 23 through 29 about that, that the text tells us they acted by faith. And if you recall, we had one point last time that, that we were just emphasizing in that, and that is this, embrace and refuse. They embraced their son, and by faith, they refused the commandments of Pharaoh. They sought the salvation of their son, embracing him, seeing in him an opportunity for God to work, and yet in so doing, they refused to let fear control them. Rather, they acted by faith. Now, we're going to have a little bit of a play on that. So tonight, instead of embrace and refuse, we're going to look at this vantage point, refuse and embrace. Invite you to read Hebrews 11. We're going to read the whole of it, 23 through 29 again, but our focus tonight is going to be on verses 24 through 28. So if you're there in Hebrews 11, read this text at home with me. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Again, last week, as we looked at verse 23 of the text, we saw his parents embrace him, but refuse the commandment of Pharaoh. And it says they were not afraid of the king's command. And tonight, we want to look at how Moses, really following his parents' example, refuses to be numbered with the Egyptians, refuses to be numbered with Pharaoh's house, refuses to identify himself with Egypt, but rather he chooses to suffer as one who is a child of Israel and ultimately one who is of God's people. And so let's consider a few thoughts tonight in relationship to this. The first thing I want us to consider is this, that he refused his place and his family in Egypt and he refused his home. Now, when we read these verses, an interesting thing for us to note is that this information is not contained in the book of Exodus in the same way and detail that it is here. In fact, we're given extra information here by inspiration, of course, to help us to understand how Moses was thinking and how he was acting as a person of faith. Now, we certainly know that he had his ups and his downs. We know that he certainly had his moments of doubt. And and even when God calls him to deliver his people in Exodus 3, we see him making a ton of excuses. And so in, in that way, Moses is like the rest of us. And yet he had these moments. And for most of his life, as he was standing before God and before Israel in particular, he lived by faith. Now, in the first place, he refused his place amongst his family in Pharaoh's house. 
Now, you, you think about Pharaoh. He is a an utter and complete ruler, isn't he? He has absolute authoritarian rule. Whatever Pharaoh says goes. And to be in Pharaoh's household is to be in the household, as the ancient Egyptians saw it, of a god. And so the blessings, you might say, from a temporal vantage point, the, the riches, the power, those things that would come to Moses by remaining in the household of Pharaoh, well, it's hard to put a real estimation on that. It's really hard to kind of value just how much he would have had in that household. But the text tells us that by faith, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter refused to be called that, that indicates a choice that he made. Now let's go over to Exodus chapter 2 and let's look at verses 11 through 15 of the text here and read it because when we read Exodus, we don't get as much detail into kind of Moses' motivation of, of faith. We kind of get it more as just a story that's occurring without a lot of background. So Hebrews kind of fills in some of that backstory for us so we can see how he's acting. But let's look at Exodus chapter 2 beginning at verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, they went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, what we understand from this text is that Moses goes out to his brethren and he sees their burdens. Indication in the language of Exodus is he knows who they are and he knows his relationship to them. This has been made aware to him. And he, in one might say a righteous zeal, sees one of his brethren being mistreated. And he responds in defense of him killing the Egyptian. Now, when we read in Hebrews... Here, chapter 11, verse 22, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so while Exodus, you almost might get the idea that Moses acted in some kind of sense out of just a moment of passion or a moment of anger, we get from Hebrews 11 and more behind that. We, we see he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. He made a choice. And when he chose to defend his Hebrew brother, he was making a choice to side with his people, with his brethren, with the Israelites, and to turn his back on Pharaoh, to turn his back on the one whom he had grown up knowing as his mother in a way, Pharaoh's house. He turned his back on Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh himself, Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter any longer. Now, that is a tremendous thing, isn't it? To turn your back on pretty much the entire life that you've lived thus far, to sacrifice everything, but that is what he did. He refused his place in his family, but then he refused his home. When we read on down to verse 25 of the of verse 27 of the text here, we're going to see that, that he refused Egypt itself. Notice what it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, 
when we look at Hebrew, when we look at Exodus chapter two, what we see is not Moses fleeing so much out of a lack of fear, but it does seem like there is a bit of fear on his part. And so I, I don't think that what the Hebrews writer here is saying is actually connecting to Hebrews chapter to Exodus chapter two. I think that what the Hebrews writer is saying here, because of the context, is actually connected to Exodus chapter 10 into Exodus chapter 11. Now read the next verse here in Hebrews again. He endured to seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover. He forsook Egypt, seeking the one who's invisible, and he kept the Passover. Now, these two events, the forsaking of Egypt and the keeping of the Passover, really find a good parallel there at the end of Exodus 10. So, so turn back over to the book of Exodus again with me. But this time, instead of in chapter 2, I want you to turn over to Exodus chapter 10. And I want you to go down to verse 21. Exodus chapter 10 at verse 21. Let's look at the text. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. So this is the ninth plague. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Well, if your flocks and your herds, if if the source of your um, meat, if you will, if the source of riches for your people as an agricultural-based society in so many ways is left behind, well, you're going to have to come back, aren't you? And that's not the ultimate plan. Then Pharaoh called him and said, this is what you should do. So verse 25, Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he'll let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger." But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children go of Israel go out of 
his land. So you've got to understand that the events from chapter 10, the end of it, spill into chapter 11. Moses is still before Pharaoh. And so what you get in verses 1 through 3 is kind of a bit of an intermission. It's giving us out of chronological order here to some degree an explanation of what is going to transpire here with the children of Israel and with the Egyptians. But when Pharaoh says, you will not see my face again, and Moses says to him, you're right, Moses then will go on to tell him that God is going to kill the firstborn of every house in Egypt. And yet Israel is not going to be affected by it in the same way because of the Passover. In fact, none of the firstborn are going to die in Israel, but all the firstborn are going to die in Egypt. And so this in this interchange between Pharaoh and between Moses seems to be what the Hebrews writer here is referencing. Moses persists all the way through trusting God. And by faith, when Pharaoh says, you won't see my face again, Moses says, no, I won't. He knows that this is the end of the road. He knows that God is going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And so by faith, as we read over here in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He knows what is going to happen. He knows what is going to transpire, but he does not fear the wrath of the king because he by faith endured as seeing him who is invisible. He knew who had called him. He knew who had sent him. He knew what his purpose was. And so he didn't fear when Pharaoh said, I'll kill you if I see you again. Moses didn't fear. Moses simply spoke from faith and said, you're certainly right. We will not see each other again. And so when we think about Moses refusing and embracing, he refused his place in Egypt. He refused the family that he had in being known as Pharaoh's daughter's son. He refused his homeland in forsaking Egypt. Can you imagine coming back into Egypt after he had fled, after killing that servant and becoming known and being away from Egypt for many, many years and then returning back? Can you imagine what it was like to be in those places again, to see those sites again, to interact with those of Pharaoh's household who had known him in his youth? But he turned aside all of that to seek after God. And the Hebrews writer tells us he did it by faith. Now, that's what he that's what he refused but what did he embrace well that's the second part of that point we wanted to consider right that that's the second aspect of it he refused yes but he also embraced so let's look at this he embraced two things primarily i would suggest to you he embraced suffering and he embraced spiritual sight he embraced suffering and he embraced spiritual sight Look at this text with us. First, verses 25 through 26. So after the text says, By faith he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 25 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures. Some translations would translate it something like the treasuries in Egypt, indicating the great wealth that they had. For he looked to the reward. So he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. The word here, suffer, is unique in the New Testament. It is the only time it occurs. And this word has, especially in its construction, the idea of suffering with others. 
suffering with someone else. That's why our translation reads the way it does. He, by faith, made a choice. I can either embrace Egypt and all the riches that are here, or I can go to the people who are afflicted. I can choose my people. And choosing my people, then all of these pleasures, all these things I can have in Egypt, the pleasures of sin, and choosing my people, I'm, I'm leaving all that behind. And so doing the right thing, choosing the people of God, choosing the path of God, meant laying aside all the pleasure that he could have had, the pleasures of sin, by refusing the plight of his people. By embracing the house of Egypt, he could have had all those pleasures, but he would have been denying himself and denying God. And instead of doing that, he denied his place. He denied his family in Egypt. He refused them and he embraced his own people. And he embraced, the verse says, he looked to the reward. He embraced the reward that is from God. Now, Notice verse 26. There's an interesting phrase here, esteeming the riches, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. This is an interesting phrase in, in the Greek, and there's some debate as to how it ought to be interpreted, but perhaps the best way to understand is this. It's saying that he, in essence, accepted being reviled, being reproached, being, being held in a, a sense of disrespect and disregard by the Egyptians. He embraced that just as Christ was willing to embrace it. So he's, it's not so much saying that Moses knew Christ and chose Christ. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that Moses, like Christ, chose to be reproached for the reward of God instead of accepting the rewards of man. Remember that the devil himself in tempting Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 offered him many, many things, didn't he? including all the kingdoms of this world, and yet Jesus chose the cross. He chose fidelity and faithfulness to God and to the people of God and to the plan of God. Moses did likewise. He was willing to be ridiculed. He was willing to be reproached by those whom he had known in his own homeland to choose the reward of God. He embraced suffering. He embraced suffering because he knew that it was right to embrace the people of God and to embrace the reward of God, that there was so much more there than what sin, than what the pleasures of sin, than what Egypt itself could offer. But he didn't just embrace suffering. When he refused Egypt, he embraced suffering, yes, but he also embraced spiritual sight. Notice again at verse 27 what the text says. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, now two things here. First, he didn't fear Pharaoh because he sought one who was invisible, seeing him who is invisible. Secondly, he embraced the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. He acted by faith. He embraced spiritual sight. Now, when you look at the power of Pharaoh, when you look at the power of Egypt, they are, in a sense, at the pinnacle of their importance in world history here. 
And they, the Pharaoh has a tremendous army with chariots and all. And we, we know how that's going to play out some here in just a few chapters in the book of Exodus, don't we? But Pharaoh had tremendous power. The, the power of life and death, so to speak, is in his hands. And yet, Moses didn't fear him. You would think Moses would. Most people in a position of, of choosing between upsetting Pharaoh or going along with Pharaoh, they're going to choose to go along with the leader. Because if you upset the man who has all the power, who's considered a god for all intents and purposes, if you upset the apple cart with him, the end result is going to tend to be, you know, off with your head, right? It's not going to go well for you. But he didn't fear him because he, by faith, saw God. And it's such a a wonderful play on words here. He endured as seeing him who is invisible, seeing him who cannot be seen. How did he do that? By faith. He could see the hand of God. By the time that we get to the point in, in Exodus 10 and 11, we're to the ninth plague and we're through the ninth plague, right? When Pharaoh was making these threats against Moses, Moses has seen the power of God. He has confronted him in the wilderness. He has now followed his will and coming to deliver the people of God. And now as we're approaching this final plague, Pharaoh says, you won't see me again and live. But Moses doesn't fear him. Rather, he fears him who cannot be seen. Because by faith, he knows who God is and he knows the power of God. Though not able to see with his eyes, he could see with his spirit. He could see by faith. He walked by faith and not by sight. But secondly, a part of that isn't just that he didn't fear Pharaoh. Rather, he saw the invisible God and and embraced him. But also in that, he embraced the Passover. Who would think that blood struck upon the doorpost from a lamb of the first year could possibly stop the destruction that was coming? And yet, this was the instruction of God. And the instructions to eat it with clothes on your back and sandals on your feet, to eat it with unleavened bread, to, to be ready to depart in haste. All of this is as part of the Passover. When, when one reads that, one, one might look at it and say, how in the world is this going to deliver anyone from anything? Last I checked, the blood of, of an animal struck upon your doorpost won't keep a coronavirus out of your house, right? It's not going to keep the flu away. It's not going to keep any kind of, of deadly intruder away from you. That's, that, we, we look at that and say, That's, that doesn't work that way. Well, it doesn't unless God says that's how it'll work. And God had instructed Moses to instruct Israel to do this very thing. And Moses embraced that. He embraced spiritual sight. What looked like a fool's errand to some was an act of faith on the part of Moses and, by the way, Israel. To hear the voice of God and to give heed to it, to act upon it and keep the Passover just as God had commanded. You know, sometimes the cross of Christ is certainly seen as foolishness, isn't it? Sometimes the genuine worship of God is seen as foolishness. Sometimes the fidelity to God's doctrine and teaching in all things can, can be considered foolishness. We, we can be said to be on the wrong side of history, but 
God's people like Moses ought to be those who walk by faith and not by sight. Look, think about 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25, just in this one thought with regarding, you know, the foolishness sometimes as it, as it would appear of the way of God. And yet in the end to those who are walking by faith, it's the wisdom of God. And they in obedience follow God. Look at what Paul says here. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. You see, when you walk by faith and not by sight, when you embrace spiritual sight, those things that might be considered foolish, well, in Christ and in God, there is wisdom. And so when we think about Moses and the faith of Moses, two two things tonight. He refused his place and his family. He refused his homeland. And instead, he embraced suffering with the people of God. Instead, he embraced spiritual sight. He saw him who was invisible. And when God commanded him to lead Israel in the Passover, he didn't doubt it. He simply, by faith, accepted it and did what God had commanded. He acted by spiritual sight, believing the one whom he knew had all power and dominion. Moses refused Egypt and all it had to offer in order to embrace God and his gifts, even though suffering, even though embracing what men might consider foolishness was absolutely required. But acting by faith, he saw the wisdom of God. You know, we too have been called, haven't we, to forsake everything. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll save it. Then then you'll find it. Brethren, we've been called to take up our cross and follow after him. If we are going to act by faith, then we need to refuse the pleasures of this life. We need to refuse the sin of this life. We need to refuse the foolishness of this life and embrace the wisdom of God. Embrace the Son of God. Embrace the cross of Christ. Knowing that we too, if we make that decision, that we're going to have to endure suffering as those who have chosen the things of God over the ways of men. Consider the text in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 10 through 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 16, where Paul says this to the young man Timothy, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, 
purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He tells Timothy, you know the life that I have lived. We could say it this way. You know how I've been faithful unto God, even through persecutions and afflictions. And in fact, Timothy, you need to know this, that if you're going to live godly, if anyone is going to live a godly life in Christ, there is going to come persecution. And so Timothy, knowing that persecution is going to come, what you need to do is strengthen your faith. What you need to do is root and ground your faith in the word of God, in that scripture that is inspired of God and is able to complete you and thoroughly equip you for every good work. Why is that essential? Because those who forsake everything, those who endure persecution for God, they must be rooted in the word of God because it's the word of God that produces faith, Romans 10 verse 17, and we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 6 and 7. In fact, we know that this earthly tabernacle, this body is going to have to be put off, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. And so we live in view of the eternity. We live in view of that reward. And so like Moses, those who would be God's children this day, and those of us listening right now, that those of us in participating in this right now who are already God's children, we must follow his example. We must learn the message of faith. We must refuse the riches and pleasures of this world. We must forsake. We've got to abandon. We've got to leave behind the ways of this world. And instead, we need to embrace Christ, embrace the suffering that comes with that, embrace the spiritual sight that is in Christ Jesus by faith as we walk according to the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we can do no less if we are going to be the people of God than to forsake all, endure suffering, and walk by faith and not by sight. Moses shows us that we can act by faith, that we can pursue God in faith, that we can act by faith even when it might be foolishness to those who are around us, that we can live by faith even when we suffer for Christ. So the question isn't whether or not it can be done because it can be by the power of God that is revealed in his word, by the faith that comes through that word, it can be done. The question isn't whether or not it can be done. The question tonight for you is this, for me is this, will I do it? Will I forsake all? Will I refuse the pleasures of sin and embrace suffering with the people of God for the reward of God so that I might walk in spiritual sight and when all is done be present in the sight of my Lord forevermore. Now brother, sister, if you're struggling in your walking and you need to be restored, reach out and let us know. If you're one who's finding this video and you're watching it for the first time, know that in order to obey the gospel of Christ, in order for you to embrace God and turn your back on this world, you've got to be willing to be born again. You've got to be willing to die to self and live to Christ. And the only way to do that 
is through the response of the gospel in repentance, Acts 17.30, confession, Romans 10.9 and 10, and immersion for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38, and Romans chapter 6. Begin at verse 1 and just keep on reading, and you'll see the significance of it all. If you're ready to do that, then reach out to us and let us know here at the congregation. We would be glad to be of help and be of assistance to you. Well, that's the sermon this evening. do hope that it has been a blessing and a help to you, most certainly, as we pursue those things that are of God, walking by faith, refusing the pleasures of this world, and embracing the goodness of God in faith.